Happy New Year! Welcome to New Narrative Southeast Asia Dispatches. I'm your host, Bonibel Ramatan, Editorial Manager for New Narrative. New Narrative is a movement to democratize democracy in Southeast Asia, and this podcast is one of the ways we attempt to do just that, hopefully in a better, stronger way this 2023. One of the key pillars of democracy is media freedom. Citizens, and arguably non-citizens, must be able to freely criticize those in power and demand better of them for the sake of everyone. As established in Article 19 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, media freedom, concurrently freedom of expression and information, is a universal human right. Of course, fighting for media freedom isn't just about us. Our struggle will need to involve the entire independent media landscape in Southeast Asia, We are strongest when we work together, so collective action and care must be at the heart of our community. Power and resources should be distributed rather than centralized, and exercised collectively rather than top-down. That is the background of New Narrative's Media Freedom Network. The network was launched on Human Rights Day last year on December 10th, 2022, which is also the day that we recorded this podcast. Throughout 2023, you'll be hearing a lot from us regarding media freedom and freedom of expression alongside this network, so look forward to that. As this is a collective effort, in this episode we're going to talk with one of the co-founders of Project Multatuli. If you're listening to this from Indonesia, chances are you've heard of this organization. Essentially, Project Multatuli is, and we quote, a collective initiative dedicated to carrying out the ideals of public journalism by giving a voice to the voiceless, spotlighting the marginalized, and reporting on the unreported, whose work involves collaboration with other news organizations, research bodies, and civil society groups that strive for democracy, human rights, social justice, environmental sustainability, and equal rights for all. My name is Efi Mariani. I'm a journalist, been a journalist for 20 years, I guess. After I resigned from the Jakarta Post in 2021, I founded Project Multatuli with three other journalists. That's Evie Mariani, to whom we'll be talking today. She has won the 2020 Public Service Journalism Award from the Society of Publishers in Asia and the 2020 Tasrif Award from AJI, the Indonesian Alliance of Independent Journalists. We're going to be discussing what media freedom means and what the ideals of public journalism are, and how we can keep up a good fight despite the increasing threats to our freedom of expression in Southeast Asia. Also, bear in mind that this episode was recorded in December, so some of the specific details of what we discussed may have changed. That being said, the nature of the topic itself is something that we believe to be perennially important. Okay, so we are recording this at International Human Rights Day on the 10th of December 2022. You know, there's a large intersection between human rights and journalism, and that has to do a lot with like media freedom and all of that. Can you maybe tell us uh, what your thoughts are on media freedom and its Uh, current condition in Indonesia. You're absolutely right. Uh, Journalism uh, and Universal Declaration of Human Rights, of course, of course, uh, closely linked, not only because journalism uh, hinges upon freedom of expression, which is basic human rights, and also uh, freedom of the press, uh, freedom to uh, access information, also a role in reporting uh, human rights uh, violations, right? This is why even under democracy and the development of democracy, global democracy nowadays, 
with the rising of populism and uh, how populist leaders around the world rise to power and then use democracy to pursue their own interests, which sometimes like undemocratic, usually the f- among the first they silence or they attack uh, is journalists or the media industry. In Indonesia, the third largest, uh, the, th- the world third largest democracy, there is press freedom since 1998. But we've seen something that is sort of like the promise of democracy is somehow tainted or marred by attempts of those in power. And I said those in power, not just referring to one person or, or two persons, right? But like the this abstract uh, those in power that not not very abstract though, yeah, that can be pinpointed to to the executive executive power, legislative power, and then the police, the military, of course, and the law enforcers. How they uh, band together with uh, rich people, uh, corporate. Uh, corporations, not all corporations are bad, obviously, but some of them are rent-seekers that have political interests uh, to keep accumulating their wealth, right? Sometimes some people call it like the oligarchs. I sometimes call them like politically wired tycoons. So, so together they, they, they consist of powerful force in Indonesia and this concept of power, they wage an a battle against us and it's asymmetrical I think because they have all the money they have all the power and media industry in Indonesia now a lot of uh, the large groups and the large media outlets are now owned by politicians or by politicians come uh, business people and it's uh, not good for journalism, of course, because we cannot trust them not to interfere with the editorial process. Uh, in 2024, there will be election. This year, we already can feel the tension. And I think next year, 2023, uh, will be more tense. So that's uh, how I think Project Multatuli, when we... Uh, for journalists and uh, several journalists, other, other journalists uh, who, who are volunteers, uh, when we decided to, okay, let's make uh, this, let's uh, call this Project Multatuli. And what is Project Multatuli? This is a public service journalism initiative. It serves as a sort of like a self-criticism uh, on journalism, on media practice in Indonesia, because we see how a lot of newsrooms are controlled by the, uh, the, the politically wired tycoons. So you co-founded uh, Project Multatuli in the background of all these threats, of all of these um, you know, conditions that you just explained. So um, can you talk a bit more about how it does so, how it strives to do so, maybe uh, a bit more about the model, a bit more about your missions, about how you try to conduct things in the background of all of these uh, increasing threats, uh, political threats and everything else that you just mentioned? The first biggest question for us is where... where where should we get the money? Because obviously when we try to disrupt the dominant practice, uh, which was the, the business model, the, the dominant business model was either you get uh, money from politically wired tycoons or you get money from uh, 
big tech, yeah, big, not big tech, big tech, but uh, you get crumbs from uh, a revenue of the digital ads, right? So those two dominant business models, uh, we see that has uh, influenced how journalism, how uh, editorial independence uh, works, and we, we don't want to adopt that. So big question, of course, then, then where should we get the money? Uh, the, the first obvious, the, the, like the lowest hanging fruit for us was uh, grants, right? So the, but we realized that grants, if we rely solely on grants, we won't be sustainable. So we will have to uh, seek for audience revenue from readers. Uh, and like New Narrative, we adopt a membership uh, and the second one is we also have this revenue basket called earn, earn revenue. Earn revenue is anything, anything we can uh, sell. So what, what, uh, what kind of service we can do as a group, uh, we, we can sell and then get some profit and the profit goes back to public service journalism. Uh, I was thinking that, okay, we are a bunch of uh, writers, journalists, photo, photojournalists, photographers, uh, content creators, filmmakers. Uh, we can make podcasts, we can make videos, we can do a lot. And uh, Project Multatuli, uh, we, the founders, have a network of, of, of those skilled, highly skilled people across uh, the archipelago, across Indonesia. So why not uh, work and then sort of put a price uh, but the profit is not for someone to buy a helicopter or whatever, but the profit goes back to our own welfare. I mean, we, we, are not, we don't want to be rich, we just want to, to live decently, right? So after we, we, the profit will, goes back to, will go back to paying all the who work with us uh, decently, and if there's still uh, money left out, then for, for, again, for public journalism. So that's that's the 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 question of money. But you also asked about like uh, uh, threats, right? Uh, I haven't I haven't talked about the digital threats and so on, right? That's 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 very big right now, uh, along with physical attacks. I mean, like the traditional way to threat journalists, physical attacks are still there, but now coupled with uh, digital attacks. Are there any specific things, specific actions that you do to protect your contributors, protect your uh, freelancers and everything from all of these threats? Yeah, so in Indonesia, we, we have uh, uh, Indonesian press law, which was uh, the result, maybe like sort of the direct result of Reformasi in 1998. It was uh, passed in 1999, and it's a good law. In uh, Not perfect, but should be enough to protect uh, journalists. The press law says that if anyone doesn't like uh, our news or opinion or whatever, they should go to the press council to mediate. So it, uh, it protects us from uh, getting slapped with criminal charges, right? But in practice, people still like uh, debating about whether this person is really a journalist or not. But for Project Multatuli, even though we are still trying to get verification from the press council, uh, we have uh, the press law to protect us. So our sources, news sources, our contributors, our photojournalists, our journalists, is protected uh, by the press law through us. So if 
anything happens, like someone is not happy, uh, you should complain to us, not to the writer. And in Indonesia, there is this system called that every media outlet has to have someone is called penanggung jawab. Uh, in English, probably can be translated to guarantor, to those who guarantee that uh, the protection for, for all the contributors. Our, our guarantor is uh, Fahri Salam, our, our chief editor. So sometimes I joke that, okay, whatever we do, the one who goes to jail is Fahri Salam. <laughs> so that's, that's how we try to, to protect uh, our writers. Uh, so everyone who writes for us should be protected by law, and we will vouch to the press council that they are journalists. Has there ever been any close calls or, you know, all of these threats that's materialized or, you know, all of these risks that maybe, yeah, brushes against, against the law that's more risky than others? Yeah, last year, so in October, uh, October 6th, last, last year was such a historical moment for us something that we suspected as DDoS attack. Uh, our website went down because we published a story on a police inaction in a small town in Timur, a very masculine, macho <laughs> uh, culture town in South Sulawesi, in which a mother of three reported her, suspicious, uh, her suspicion that her children, uh, all under 10, uh, were... Uh, Perhaps, like she, she was suspicious that, that the children was, were perhaps raped by their own father. So she reported that to the local children protection and women uh, protection and then reported to the police. But and then both institutions say that, ah, oh, she's delusional. She's delusional. So she, it happened in 2029, 2019, but uh, our uh, Project Multatuli published her story two years after in 2021 because she didn't stop fighting. She, she continued her, her fight because she thought that it's, it's not fair that she was called delusional and get the, the case dropped without being investigated properly. So she, she just wanted to, to be, to, to, for her case to be investigated. So we reported uh, the writer, the, the journalist was Eko Rusdianto. He is a... He's also, I think, he, he writes for, for a lot of media outlets, including New Narrative, I think. Uh, so he's based in Makassar, 12 hours from Timur. So because we reported about police in action, and we accompanied that story when we published it on me, the social media, we accompanied that, that, that story with a hashtag, Percuma Lapor Policy, which loosely translated into there's no use in, in, in reporting to the police because they won't do anything for your case. Uh, it exploded in a sense that a lot of uh, Twitter users, also Instagram, I think, felt the same way. Yeah, I have a story about police in action too. When I reported my motorcycle was like stolen, for example, for three days it became um, trending nationally on Twitter. A few hours after we published that story, uh, our website went down. Uh, the readers could not access that uh, that story, and then. Police tried to sort of clarify on their Instagram account, like Luwu Timur have this public relations have have uh, this Instagram account saying that uh, this story by Project Multatuli, and because we were only five months old, yeah, 
they didn't know us like whose project Multatulio. I'll just stamp a hoax stamp on on their, <laughs> their story. They screen captured uh, our uh, our article and then put a hoax stamp on that and clarifying, but mentioning the names, the full names of the mother and her ex-husband, and people went to the ex-husband's social media, doxing him and stuff like that. And of course, the husband got mad, but they got mad at us, not at the police. <laughs> well, our article didn't mention any names at all. So he reported his uh, ex-wife to the police for defamation. And journalists are close to, like, not, not close in that way. Journalists in Makassar, who, who knows what's going on in South Sulawesi police, told Ekorus Dianto, our, our journalist there, that the lawyer almost also reported Eko to, to the police. Uh, but, and then the journalists, other journalists who met the lawyer outside the police, uh, South Sulawesi police said that we have press law and you cannot do that. Uh, so they just reported the wife, the, the mother. Uh, but the mother is our news source and the press law protect uh, news, uh, news sources. We had to prepare like uh, transportation to, to protect her also like a safe house because the witness protection in Indonesia it has like some sort of bureaucracy and it was an emergency. Within days, we have to like remove her from, from the small town to other place. So we, uh, we try to protect both our news source and also our journalists. But the pressure for the news source is, was, was actually more than, than the journalists. But the journalists also kind of like stressed out the idea. Uh, he's like almost uh, got reported to the police and then when he told us we said that we'll support you we'll uh, back you up uh, any legal any legal matters should come to us not to you as individually uh, did it ever amount to anything I mean the, the, the charges or was, was everyone safe at the end I haven't checked whether they uh, dropped the case because because there's no follow up but as long as the report is still there, it's, the threat is still there, right? As long as they didn't drop. So lately, I haven't checked uh, the latest update about the, the report yeah, against the wife. So how do you um, manage to, to um, you know, because it's, it's a very, it sounds like a very complicated case also. Did you, um, did it take like a, a lot of um, public defense lawyers? Did it take a lot of, um, you know, legal trainings for your contrib uh, contributors? And you mentioned a safe house there. Did you have collaborations with a lot of, like, uh, organizations or stuff like that? Uh, yeah, we do. We, we have, uh, we collaborate with civil society organizations uh, for that. Like, uh, a donor, uh, a donor also, like, help us in providing the safe house it, because it's, uh, it's a lot of money, right? Uh, for legal, since the beginning, we realized that we, well, our tagline is we serve the underreported and we hold power accountable. And uh, apparently, the one that carries more risk is not just only hold power accountable, but also 
apparently surfing the underreported can uh, can pose risk uh, for you because because you serve the underreported, you effectively holding power accountable. Actually, my observation not only on Project Multatuli's uh, uh, case, yeah, the old cases like Tempo, Magdalene, Conde.co, and and other other attacks against media outlets or journalists. You you expose sexual abuse cases. That's one of the highest risk uh, reports, not just exposing corruption, for example, but apparently when women speak up, women who are supposed to be victims in the eyes of the, those in power, when they speak up, it's scary for, for people. So that's uh, carry, carry a very high risk. So realizing that since the start, uh, Project Multatuli cooperates with Legal Aid Institute uh, LBH pairs yeah, for the press. So almost many, many of our articles uh, have to go through uh, a lawyer, especially the controversial ones. Uh, the one on Timur also, the lawyer read before, before uh, uh, publication to uh, serve like, have like legal, legal advice on what to write and not what to write. We hold the editorial independence, but he, uh, he, could, uh, he could tell us like, okay, if, if this is the consequence and you have to be ready or whatever. Yeah, and speaking of laws, there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of ways that the government or those in power can actually sue uh, journalists, right? For example, like the uh, ITE law, right? The, how you can, you can get sued for defamation, you could get sued for hate speech and all of these things. Aside from running through your lawyers, do you actually, um, I don't know, like push for the reformation of UUITN uh, or, you know, do other things? Or maybe you, you also, um, yeah, I mean, w- what is your experience maybe or relationship with like all of these UUITN uh, and maybe some other uh, laws out there? Yeah, our closest brush was that case, yeah, the last year's case. So that's uh, our uh, closest brush with the, with the law. And we fully realized that ITE law or whatever law can work against us because the interpretation, the decision or the judgment to say who's right and who's wrong sometimes often are in the hands in, of uh, those in power, right? So, so like I said, this is asymmetrical battle. So uh, we fully realize that ITE law lurks even uh, against journalists, and that's happened in uh, several journalists. Like I'm also a member of Independent Journalist Alliance or IG. Uh, IG has a record of like encourage uh, journalists to report uh, whatever happened to them, doxing, uh, threat of IT law, uh, having their handphone or camera snatched by uh, uh, police or military or just some thugs, for example. So they have this uh, page on their website to report. So I realize because I'm. Uh, I know from people in IG and also some of journalists established this what called the KKJ, Komite Keselamatan Journalist, which is com- committee for uh, s- journalist safety. And also there is this uh, NGO called SafeNet, 
also deal with digital security and all. They sometimes release reports, IG also release reports. And of course, before we establish Project Multatuli, we realized the threat. And ITE law, even though for journalists, like I said before, is protected by the press law, in reality, that is not, not always like that. There is a, pre, uh, uh, a case in which like a journalist um, work for, I won't mention the, the media outlet, yeah? work for some, one media outlet in Indonesia, and then the media outlet said, okay, he's not exactly our journalist, so, so, uh, so like sort of like wash their hands and just do whatever you want to him. Yeah, he's based in Kalimantan. Uh, so he uh, was put in jail. And uh, there was this case also, Aji, my friends in Aji uh, help advocate this case in Aceh, in which uh, a journalist in Aceh was uh, reported to the police by some, uh, I forgot, I think corporations or something. And uh, the press council sent a recommendation to the police in Aceh saying that, yeah, this is a journalism product, so it should be treated uh, as journalists should be mediated uh, with us. But and <laughs> there was this sort of like a small footnote in the letter saying that, but this media has not, has not been verified by us, which is, should not be a factor because the press law says that if you're an organization having a legal entity uh, certificate, like you're a company or you're a foundation or you're uh, like PTASN or Perkumpulan or Koperasi, you're good. Supposed to be protected anyway. So the police says that, okay, we still will continue with the criminal case because this media hasn't been verified by the press council. So in reality, yes, uh, those in power can do anything even like uh, violating agreement or whatever, right? So, so we, we fully, we are fully aware, always aware of that. Yeah. I see. Yeah. It's a really, you know, delicate dance, I guess, with the authorities and the press. Um, what do you think of like uh, Permencominfo? The, you know, because again, maybe, you know, uh, you mentioned DDoS earlier, but I think, you know, of course the government can maybe block it or force censor uh, your website or your reports or stuff like that. Have you ever received any, um, aside from the DDoS thing you mentioned, uh, maybe? any threats or any fears that maybe the, the website will be taken down by the government, stuff like that, or blocked? Yeah, we haven't registered ours because we consult our lawyer and he said, like, just wait, wait and see uh, for now because journalism is still kind of like in negotiation. Uh, but yes, we... Uh, we, we were worried about that regulation in which we have to uh, register, otherwise we have a, a risk of getting shut down, right? Uh, so that's just one of many things that we see that we can't uh, get, uh, what you call it, get shot at, you know. Uh, globally, Maria Ressa, for example, in the Philippines, she, uh, ha she has to face a criminal charge not on the journalism practice itself, right? But on some kind of like 
money, not money laundering, I guess, uh, investment like finance, something like tax or whatever. And there was this journalist. Uh, his name is Carlos Dada, I think. He's in from Ecuador in uh, Latin America. He got a charge, uh, so his media outlet was shut, uh, closed, I think, and was charged of, I think, the same tax evasion or money laundering or some financial fraud or something. So that's how, I mean, like, if those in power do not like you, they can just do, do, do anything. Uh, <laughs> it's... Sometimes we feel like, okay, whatever we do is probably useless, yeah? Uh, and we sort of never know what will happen. Sometimes I'm thinking maybe I'm too paranoid, uh, thinking like the latest uh, controversial criminal code, for example. I call it like a siege uh, against freedom of expression, including freedom of the press. And a lot of, um, what do you call it, Buzz buzzers in Indonesian? But in English, could, could be like uh, trolls. Uh, yeah, online mobs saying that, don't worry, if you don't do anything bad, uh, you'll be fine, right? You're just like lebay, you're like uh, overreacting or whatever. Maybe, yes. Maybe, and bad things won't happen to us, but who knows? Who knows? I won't, I will never be, we will never be 100% sure because the pasal karet, like the, the articles is like, uh, like karet, yeah, can be <laughs> like stretched as long as wide as well, as those who, who can stretch it. Uh, uh, as possible, uh, can, as wide as possible. Uh, if they are still there, then there is always this possibility threats lurks, right? So what we can do is, for me, is to just, you know, do all the basics, uh, security, safety that we can do and we have to do. So at least if something happens, I won't call myself stupid at least, like stupid, you know? <laughs> like, why didn't you uh, activate your two-factor two authentication, for example? <laughs> Things like that. And we try to like uh, follow all the law, like the labor law, the tax law, we pay tax, we uh, follow the labor law, we pay the, also for, because a lot of our, our workers are uh, union <laughs> members, so of course that's like number one, uh, following labor law and even more than labor law. Uh, to just sort of like secure, secure, uh, um, so so that we we have like minimum chink in the armor, as to say maybe, um, but also solidarity. I think what happened last year was if we're just like a five months old media outlet with only, I think at that time, 10 people in it, without support from readers and other media outlets and other journalists and civil organizations, 
we are not going to be here right now. You're not going to talk to me as a Project Multatuli founder. I don't know, I'm probably already like, you know, set up online shop somewhere, you know, and not being a journalist anymore, maybe. Maybe if not for the solidarity support from, um, from the people. So that's how I'm like uh, kind of, that's how we protect ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's a great point actually with uh, about solidarity. Um, as you may know, recently, actually, just this morning, we uh, we just launched the Media Freedom Network in New Narrative, which aims to build this solidarity across uh, everyone, whether they're like freelance journalists or organizations, but everyone who cares about uh, media freedom in Southeast Asia then they can, you know, network and build this solidarity that you just mentioned to help one another out when, when cases like these happen, right? Because, again, you, you mentioned some, uh, some names earlier, and like, this happens in uh, a lot of parts, a lot of countries in Southeast Asia. And, of course, like, each country has their own equivalent of UUITE uh, and RKUHP and all of these other things, right? Um, I guess my question is that um, if we, I mean, well, we are already building a, this solidarity network, right? But concretely, what do you think are the most important steps in building this network? Uh, do you feel it's, it's more important for um, trainings or digital security or, or the legal aspect or just making the connections itself or I mean obviously all of these aspects can't be separated from one another but I was just wondering what your thoughts are on building a regional solidarity for media freedom. All that you mentioned are important of course um, at the very least a network can make noise right can make noise and uh, internationally it's still if you have you make enough noise presumably uh, the one who attack you will kind of sort of probably embarrass or something but of course of course you we realize that it it's it's not always the case right like i mean myanmar for example like uh, uh, russia <laughs> right i mean the world has already like uh, make uh, noise uh, so skills uh, skills to to protect yourself and resources where to get resources to help you because protecting yourself is expensive right it is expensive so you will need resources uh, there are uh, donors I think which can help you uh, protect yourself like uh, buying a more secure server, for example. Buying or renting? Renting, maybe, server. Hmm. Renting a more secure server, for example. Uh, hiring a legal consultant if you don't have one, right? Uh, so there are resources, uh, donors, or if not donors, then why not ourselves? You know, like uh, pitching some money if there's someone who's like, need like legal resources or something we even though we none of us like are rich yeah all the welfare are already like <laughs> served by the, those one percenter people uh, but we probably have some money to spare right so resources is important solidarity um, a place to hide 
or at the very least, like I said, uh, make some noise, right, together. So what what was uh, when we thought like first like Project Multatuli, we thought like okay, we are a small one, and even one police officer who was a celebrity on Twitter, Indonesian police officer once said that oh, it's just like Fahri, Fahri Salam's personal blog, right? <laughs> Don't mind them. <laughs> we we realized that so we. Uh, try to join as many associations as possible. Like any, any like we are, we are a member of inter International Press Institute, for example. Uh, like two or three of us are members of uh, IG, uh, mem a member also Union Sindikasi. So if anything happen, a lot of our networks will make noise together. So that's I think that's already quite significant. So for people who are listening to this who aren't active in the journalism, uh, in, the, in, in public journalism, or they're, they're not journalists and, and stuff like that, um, what do you suggest them to do? I mean, again, you, you mentioned about donations, you mentioned about um, other things like that, but can you maybe give us a bit more on that? For for non-journalists, for for, for, non -journalists. Those, yeah, for for readers, for listeners who are passionate about media freedom, but they, yeah, they, they want to help, but they don't actively work here. They don't part. They're not part of any associations or organizations. Support independent media outlets like Project Multatuli or New Narrative. Obviously, in Southeast Asia, we have. Um, Frontier Myanmar, for example, in, in Myanmar, that's only one, I think. Uh, in Malaysia, you have uh, Malaysia Kini, you have this uh, newsletter, I think, called Behind the Lines or something. Support them and uh, not just read them at the very least, uh, share their stories even subscribe or become members. That's, I think, the very least uh, non-journalists can do. Uh, right now, Project Multatulu has uh, accumulated number of about 1,400 members. Uh, we still need a lot more, obviously. Um, but we are always grateful for to those people who are like, uh, even pay only like 60,000 rupiah for three months membership, yeah? uh, which is like uh, equals to probably three cups of uh, Americano, for example, or latte. <laughs> so, yep, maybe that's the very least uh, you can do. But, but for yourself, I mean, for your own, yeah, not, not for supporting journalists, Maybe join an organization, whatever organization, because non-journalists, I think, if you're concerned about democracy, you're uh, organizing yourself, like joining an organization is, is I think, uh, will be very useful. Okay, thank you. Um, I guess one last question, right? Um, what's your outlook for uh, the future of media freedom in Southeast Asia? Um, Obviously, we can go in a very bad direction if, if nothing happens, right? But um, what, are your, what are your hopes if people you know, continue to support uh, independent media, if they you know, mobilize into organizations? So like, yeah, can you tell us more about your hopes for the future of media freedom in Southeast Asia? 
Yeah, I'm always struggling to to answer this kind of question because um, as a journalist, you're trained to be skeptical, right? Uh, but I'm trying to be more optimistic because now I'm more an entrepreneur than a journalist. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> entrepreneurs should have an, a, a positive outlook, they say. <laughs> um, uh, I see that in Project Multatuli's case, which is a reason for our optimism, is like, I am among 15 uh, staff. Yeah? Uh, I'm the oldest, which means like it's the one that moves Project Multatuli are younger, younger people. And more than 70% of our readers are young people as well. And my generation, Gen X, not to mention boomer. Oh my God, boomers. So uh, let's not talk about them. Probably sometimes we have to talk about them because uh, the the decision makers are boomers, yeah. And again, X. So I'm as as an older person, if you can say that. <laughs> Some people called me tante. Um, I see more. The younger people are more active in trying to change the world because I think. They were born into and they grew, grew up in a situation in which capitalism, environmental uh, problems is already like getting worse and worse. Yeah. I mean, for example, inequality is not something uh, uh, leftist people talk about. Not, no. I mean, those who are like capitalists, they, they also all already talk about how inequality worsens and it's worrying. Like the World Bank already, like since 10 years ago probably, already talk about this. Economists winning Nobel Prize already talk about inequality. So it's real. It's real. And even the capitalists themselves, the neoliberals themselves already talk about it and worry about it. So because that, I think young people are now more active in trying to make something to, to do better, not just my generation is I think is is if if you sometimes heard about like how before you reach 30 years old you should have this you have like a measure of success is this and that yeah I think that's uh, the dreams of Boomer and Gen X I think. Uh, some young people, I think, adopted that kind of dreams as well. But some, uh, which I hope uh, a lot, <laughs> some, I think, shape, create their own dreams. And that's for the better, I think. And I'm, as someone, again, as someone who's like older, I think we need to embrace like the ideas of uh, of these uh, young people, let's let's end this older generation. Uh, how how we we think about stuff, yeah? How we think about like uh, that life should be fulfilled if you already have a house, already have a car, uh, have two children, for example, get married. That's very uh, very old concept already. 
So the world has to change into something better. And I'm very happy to say that Project Multatuli is more uh, driven by young people and the readers are also younger. So that's a cause for optimism for me. And that wraps up our discussion with Evi Mariani. Journalists and activists like Evi, as well as organizations like Project Multatuli, will be a crucial part of our struggle to build a better, freer, and more equitable media landscape in Southeast Asia. So if you haven't done so already, we really urge you to check out their work at projectmultatuli.org. That's project, M-U-L-T-A-T-U-L-I dot O-R-G. If you like what they do, please also consider becoming a member of theirs as well. We know what it's like to run an independent media organization, and membership purchases help immensely. And if you're anyway involved or have aspirations in the independent media landscape in Southeast Asia, check out our Media Freedom Project. Visit newnarrative.com slash mediafreedom to learn more on how you can get access to various legal briefings, security training, organizing for collective action, and a lot more. That's newnarrative.com slash mediafreedom, all one word. My name is Bonnie Bell Rambatan, and this has been Southeast Asia Dispatches, brought to you by New Narrative and produced by Dania Yudo. I'll see you around.